Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's special episode of TCCP is none other than everyone's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you back on the podcast for a chat about all things county cricket. I mean, I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? That depends whether I want to spoil the illusion of the current time. Have I just woken up? Haven't I? Who can tell? Schrodinger's alarm or Schrodinger's wake-up call then? Something like that, yeah. Some some sort of um, physics guy, I guess. Yeah, it's too early, isn't it, to be making comparisons like All that? Late. I mean, no, listeners, we can assure you it's too early. We have woken up early for this one because it had to be done. We've got an absolute belter of a show to get into today. And for those who aren't aware, this is our Division 1 review show for the 10th rounds of the County Championship. We've already recorded the Division 2 show. That should have came out on Podbean, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you want to go and check out that show, that is already available. But myself and Kieran are here to discuss the 10th round in the First Division. And goodness me, we've got an awful lot to discuss. So Kieran, I say that we just jump straight in to what has been an excellent round of action in Division 1 of the 2023 LV County Championship. And what better place to start than in the northwest? Let's head to Blackpool, where Essex beat Lancashire by 46 runs in an absolute thriller at Stanley Park. Now, Essex won the toss and chose to have a bat first in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off rather nicely when informed captain Tom Wesley and dynamic all-rounder Paul Walter put 155 runs for the fifth wickets to take the visitors up to a seemingly solid score of 210 for four in the 61st over. However, as soon as the latter fell to the bowling of Colin de Grandom in the very next over, Essex began to suffer from an almighty collapse, as the visitors saw the final five wickets fall for the gain of just 72 runs to ultimately see themselves bowled out for a slightly underwhelming total of 282 at the start of the 93rd over. Now, in response to this, Lancashire themselves, unfortunately, had a bit of a shocker with the bat in hand in Blackpool this week, collapsing from 76 for one in the 23rd over to a dire total of 145 all outs by the middle of the 45th, as Sam Cook and Paul Walter caused all sorts of issues for the home side with the Cookerborough ball in hand. And Kieran, that is where we, we pick up our first conversation topic of the show, I suppose. And that is that first innings for Lanks. Just how crucial... Was that first innings in terms of the wider context of this game? Because obviously we were watching this from afar, but the surface in Blackpool seemed quite good for batting, to be completely honest. In particular, I've already mentioned that that first inning stand between Tom Wesley and Paul Walter. If you could see off the shine of the new ball and really get yourself in, it looked like a surface from which you could build some pretty significant partnerships. So I've got to ask, what did you make of Lancashire's batting? in that first innings. Yeah, like like you say, it it is sort of the case, um, certainly um, with the, the Cuckleborough ball games, that once you do get past the, the first, um, the, the opening exchanges, um, you, you sort of can start to make runs in on, on a surface, as you say, that, that looked like a good batting surface. Um, had Lancashire been able to avoid... Um, succumbing to some quick wickets then then they certainly could have pushed on I mean you saw Essex's first inning team 282 um you can't say that it it, it was a difficult surface to bat on um but 
Um, saying that, I know obviously Keaton Jennings has been out for a while, um, so you, potentially not expecting that much of him um, at the moment. I know what, what, once he's back to to full fitness and, and back to full form, um, obviously he hasn't hasn't played an awful lot um, of late because his injury kept him out for a little while. Um, you can sort of excuse the fact that he he only got a start and, and didn't push on. Um, but, I mean, looking down the, the batting card, there's basically only only three guys that got scores, that, that got starts, sorry. Um, Jennings, Josh Bohannon and, and Phil Salt. And, and other than that, it was sort of no, nobody else really did anything. Um, in saying that, I think they were batting against... I think it's probably fair to say this season that Sam Cook and Jamie Porter are the best opening bowling pair um, in county cricket. Um, I know we speak a lot about about Hampshire's opening pair or Hampshire's three pronged team attack being being very strong, but I think as an an opening pair, I think Cook and Porter are probably the, the best. And Sam Cook, obviously, as is is often the case, bowled very well, um, and it's it's been Porter that's been sort of the the driver in, in the highest wicket takers for, for Essex this season. But it, it's really a case of if, if one doesn't get you, the other will. And uh, a lot of teams sort of struggle against against that pair. And as you can see, the fact that, that Sam Cook took four wickets for, for not very many, um, you know, you can, you can sort of excuse it because he's a very good bowler. And there's, there's a reason that, that he has taken so many wickets this season and, and, even though Jamie Porter didn't um, take that many wickets, um, Essex's other bowlers. Um, I mean, Doug Bracewell is probably one of the best third seamers that anybody's got this season, and I think Paul Walter, um, as an all-rounder, um, probably I would say that the balance of Essex's side is a little bit better with Paul Walter in it than it than it is with Shane Snater in it, um, and the fact that he took three for twenty. In, in a short burst of five overs just sort of shows that, that there are a lot of assets for in Essex's bowling attack that that mean that sides are are sometimes going to be bowled out for, for a measly total and that's what happened to Lancashire. Well it did and it was unfortunate wasn't it for the Lancashire fans in attendance at Stanley Park this week that that was the case but you mentioned Essex's same attack Kieran I'm so glad you've mentioned it just looking at the stats for the likes of Jamie Porter and Sam Cook. Between those two, 64 wickets, which is absolutely phenomenal stuff. Jamie Porter's got 34 of those with an average of 20.58. Sam Cook's got 30 of them. That's an average of 20.60. The consistency of those two is absolutely frightening. And the the other big thing, I suppose, to take away from this game, I mean, just to give a little bit of a spoiler alert for the, for the fourth innings, Simon Harmer didn't take a single wicket in this game. And Essex still won by 46 runs so even when your premier spin bowling strike option isn't getting wickets the seamers stood up to the plate and that is absolutely massive for Essex in the wider picture because Harmer will have these excellent games he had an excellent game against Warwickshire in the last round to ultimately secure the victory for the southeastern county but even without his wickets they've still won this game so yeah it's a statement victory for a side which to be honest look as though they're generating momentum at just the right time in the season. And talking of Essex with the bat in hand this time around, as a result of that hugely underwhelming batting display from Lancashire, Essex suddenly had the means to go on and win this game. And to their immense credit, their batting lineup put them in a great position 
to do exactly that, as Dan Lawrence and the aforementioned Doug Bracewell blitzed a swashbuckling 106-run partnership from just 53 balls to see the visitors up to a sizable score of 292 for 8 by the end of day 3. Now, with time against them, Essex decided, unsurprisingly, to declare overnight, giving Lancashire a tempting target of 430 runs to chase down on the fourth and final day. And although a classy century courtesy of Warrington's Rob Jones, as well as handy top-order runs from the likes of Luke Wells and Josh Bohannon, did get the home side quite close in this game, things would ultimately end in heartbreak for the Red Rose in Blackpool this week. As the aforementioned Doug Bracewell took the key wicket of Jones with just 10 balls of the game still to spare to ultimately see Essex home to a thrilling 46-1 victory at Stanley Park. So a, a fascinating game of cricket, a massive victory for Essex County Cricket Club. And Kieran, just to talk about the, the batting efforts from Essex now, how impressive have that Essex batting lineup been this season? Because again, if we look at the stats so far this summer and we take a look at the leading run scorers in the first division, four out of the top 10 are Essex cricketers. So we've already mentioned Tom Wesley. He's the second leading run scorer so far with 891 runs. Then you've got Dan Lawrence. He scored a magnificent century in this game. He scored 627 runs over the course of seven matches. Matt Critchley, 622 runs. And then Sir Alistair Cook, 571. So we've mentioned the strength in depth of Essex's seam attack, but the batting's done a very good job as well, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's players that that play in different styles, which sort of complement each other. Like you'd say, Cook and Wesley are sort of your your classical batters that uh, sometimes, if they need to, they can they can grind out an innings. And I mean, this this game just sort of shows that as Tom Wesley has basically all season that he just always finds a way to score big runs. Um, and then Essex's second innings, the the knock of Dan Lawrence, that he's just. Um, one of those players that's just, just so dangerous that he can score quick runs in, in any situation. And and for a side to be up there at, at the top of, of Division 1, you, I mean, you look at the, the likes of Surrey that have got batting basically down to 11, you sort of sometimes need somebody else to stand up and, and play one of those innings. Um, like Doug Bracewell has in this game, 61 of 35 balls. Um, and in the end, that, that last partnership between him and Dan Lawrence in, in this game particularly is is basically what's won them the game. They hit 90 runs in the final 5.3 overs of, of day three to basically ensure that they could declare and, and that they could um, go on and win the game. And I mentioned, um, I feel like Paul Walter probably um, balances the side out a little bit more than, than Shane Snater possibly would as the, as the all-rounder. Um, I know obviously that that's sort of a little bit different when um when the wicket keeper changes. If if Adam Rosington or Michael Pepper are playing, they'll generally bat a little bit higher, whereas Bottleman's sort of seven or eight. Um but as as a number six who can score your quick runs, but also add something with the ball. Um but the runs particularly in, in the first innings from Walter, I think it it just shows the different strings to Essex bow that people can score in, in different ways and, and that everyone contributes with the bat, which is obviously serving them well this season with them now being where they are in the division. It certainly is, Kieran. And yeah, to be honest, I'm very impressed with Essex. We, we look at the teams peaking at the right time 
this Kookaburra round, or rounds, I suppose, these last two rounds in the championship, for some teams, has actually caused a little bit of a problem, as we'll probably discuss later on in the review show. But Essex have won both games pretty comfortably against two potential title contenders in Warwickshire and Lancashire. So, again, a massive victory, huge, huge win for Essex, and one which they thoroughly deserved. And I know we haven't really spoken about Lancashire, because to be honest, I don't think we need to overanalyze this result. It's it's gutting for Lancs, but at the same time, it's not the end of the season, is it? I mean, yes, a lot of people will look at this on paper. The gap to Surrey is now almost 50 points, but Lancs have got a game in hand. Right, it's not as though they're they're struggling at the bottom of the table. And they did beat Surrey in the last round. So I don't think it's fair to to overanalyze and, and pick out certain bits and pieces. I suppose I do need to mention performances from the likes of Rob Jones. I mean, I was gutted for him when he got out in that penultimate over. That was a really gutsy, gritty and resilient 111 from the Warrington-born batter. But yeah, other than that... Not the best of weeks for Lancashire, aside from maybe Tom Bailey's six for in the first innings as well. That's very impressive for Tom Bailey, his 15th career five-wicket haul in the format. But if we're looking at the bigger picture, we're looking at the title race, you would probably say now that is Lancashire out of it. Anything can happen in crickets. And as I said, if they win that game in hand, who knows? Stranger things have happened in this wonderful game. But yeah, just looking at it on paper, I do think things are probably getting a little bit out of reach for Lancashire County Cricket Club, but we'll see. Anything can happen in this wonderful competition that we call the County Championship. And Kieran, aside then from that brilliant encounter at Stanley Park, let's turn our attention to the southeast of the country and let's head to Canterbury, where my county of Warwickshire beat Kent by an innings of 46 runs in a rather one-sided affair at the Spitfire ground. Now, Kent won the toss and opted to have a bat first in this clash a decision which backfired rather spectacularly in the early exchanges as the clinical Warwickshire bowling attack spearheaded by the likes of Oliver Hannan-Dolby and Henry Brooks scythe through the home side's batting unit within the space of just 41 overs to leave the host all out for a hugely underwhelming total of 171 runs. Now, after this strong start with the ball, the Bears continued to flex their potential title credentials with a monster display with a bat in hand, as 23-year-old opener Rob Yates, the Mosley maestro himself, laid down the hammer on the Kent bowlers with a masterful 228 out from 421 balls alongside the likes of Glenn Maxwell, Alex Davis, and the aforementioned Henry Brooks, to take the West Midlands outfits up to a colossal total of 549 for seven declared by the conclusion of their first innings. Now, Kieran, right off the bats, We've got to talk about Rob Yates, the Mosley maestro, Bobby Yates, whatever you want to call him. He's absolutely phenomenal when he's in this kind of form and rhythm and confidence at the crease. What did you make, first and foremost, of that double century, which was an innings of the very highest class, calibre and quality? But again, in the wider picture, what do you make of Rob Yates as a prospect? Where do you see his future in this wonderful game? that we call cricket? I certainly like the look of him in, in all formats. I think the last um, T20 review show I was on, he was my um, North Group Player of the Week. And I think he's uh, a player that, that the T20 period sort of came at the right time for. I think he's he's able to 
it, it looks like anyway, switch between formats quite quickly and, and take form from one into the other. Um, and I know he, he had he had done quite well in the um, championship earlier on in the season. I remember him hitting a ton uh, early on. Um, but I think he's taken confidence from a good few games in, in the blast um, of late into this innings. And it just phenomenal knock of 228 and to be not out throughout the entire innings as well um just basically set up the the win for for Warwickshire and and allowed them to declare and yeah that 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 is basically the driver in the win um and yeah as you say 23 years old um and if he's putting in performances like like this now if he can string some of them together in, in a few years time then potentially um he could be finding himself in line for other honours at some point it, it might be a little while away um but he certainly got the potential to to make it at a higher level i would say well i think it's obvious that i agree with that to be honest kieran i mean i've been a big fan of rob's game for a number of years now but i suppose the big issue with him at times he's very much a boom or bust cricketer and we saw this in 2021 he was the club's leading run scorer in that championship winning campaign. And then last year, he had a shocker. He averaged 18 over the course of the season, was actually dropped and, and put down to number three. So the fact that he's now back as an opener, which I think is by far and away his strongest position, is brilliant. And to see him back in the runs, 228 not outs, to be specific, was just wonderful. He's a homegrown talent, a product of Mosley Cricket Club. He is Warwickshire County Cricket Club through and through. And it was just a brilliant knock to watch. And at one point, he actually broke a, a pane in the in the Spitfire Grounds Pavilion with one of his sixes. Such was the ferocity of the strike. So you look at Rob Yates, and, and Kieran, you mentioned about the T20 blast block coming at exactly the right time. I couldn't agree anymore. Because if you look at his outputs now, he is Warwickshire's second leading run scorer in the championship with 477 runs at an average of 47.7. And he does enjoy playing Kent. You mentioned his century earlier on in the season. That was against Kent at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. So shout out to Rob Yates. But aside from the Mosley Maestro, I've also got to give immense credit to Glenn Maxwell. The fact that he played this game shows a lot about his character. He really didn't have to. But he was disappointed in the way in which the Bears exited the, the T20 blast at the quarterfinal stage. He wanted one final send-off at this club. And boy, oh boy, did he provide 81 from 67 deliveries, 10 fours, two sixes to boots. That was just a brilliant knock from a fascinating character. And then Michael Burgess scoring a quick 542, Henry Brooks scoring 52 from 37. That really was an exceptional display with the bat in hand from the Bears in Canterbury this week. And in fairness to Kent, by their second innings, they did seem to improve quite noticeably with the bat in hand. In particular, the, the top to middle order trio of Joe Denley, Harry Finch and Jack Leaning did put together a much better resistance for the home side in that second innings. But as soon as the unstoppable Rob Yates dismissed Jack Leaning for 64 in the, in the 59th over, the game was pretty much done. And as hard as they tried, Kent unfortunately just could not salvage this game. As the likes of Oliver Hannon-Dorby, he took 4.59. And Division 1's leading wicket-taker, Chris Rushworth, he chipped in with 2 for 83. Ultimately carved through the remainder of the Kent batting lineup with relatively little resistance. 
to ultimately leave the hosts all out for 332 runs and therefore give the Bears a massive victory by an innings and 46 runs on day three at the Spitfire grounds. So, Kieran, we've spoken there a lot about Warwickshire County Cricket Club, but just to turn the attention to Kent now, the big question, do you think they can survive? Because looking at their position in the table, it's perilous to say the least. You know, they're on 74 points. They're struggling. They've got an extra game as well over the likes of Middlesex and North Ants behind them. Do you think Kent can survive the drop in this year's county championship? I think that's that's a question that will... For, for this week, I think it probably helps that uh, Middlesex and North Ants have played against each other and drawn um, because had one of those sides, or particularly had Middlesex won that game, it would look a lot worse for them. Whereas, and I know you mentioned that both the sides below them have a game to play over them. So yeah, potentially if both of those sides or even one of those sides wins the game that they've got in hand, then it could potentially become um, potentially in in a week or, or, or a few weeks if, if Kent lose the next game and one or both of those sides win the next games, um, it could be much worse for them. Whether or not Middlesex and North Ants or Middlesex or North Ants will win many games um, for the remainder of the season. I'm not sure that that might be the, the thing that helps them, that Kent are in a slightly stronger position, even though um, they, they have played an extra game, that, that the signs below them aren't looking like they're pulling up any trees at the moment. Um, but you would certainly hope from a Kent point of view that you can push yourself away from um, the relegation battle rather than um, just waiting and, and hoping that the sides below you don't win. Because um, at the moment, I mean, um, it doesn't look fantastic for them. And that I think they will have to win at least another game to to ensure that, that they're not going get, to get pulled down into that into that mess because you know, that they'll they'll not want to leave it to the other sides. Well, they won't. And to be honest, just looking at the table, it looks as though they are being dragged into that relegation dogfight, doesn't it? Which is unfortunate for Kent, but I've got to say, I mean, I mentioned this all the way back in the preview show for this season. I was worried about Kent's bowling. And unfortunately, that does seem to be cropping up yet again this season. I mean, you look at the averages, Matt Quinn, 14 wickets at 28.14. Aside from him and Wes Agar, Agar took 21 wickets, an average of 28.33. The next best bowling average is 42. Now, if you compare that to to Warwickshire, for example, Rushworth, 17.64. Chris Wokes, 19.89. Oliver Hannan-Dorby, 21.17. Hassan Ali, 21.58. It's a huge, huge difference between those two counties. And if Kent are to survive the drop, they've got to bowl better. They really have... And in particular on home soil, this is not the first time they've conceded over 500 at the Spitfire ground. And don't get me wrong, you've got to factor in the Kookaburra ball and it is usually quite a placid and tame batting surface, as we found out in the Surrey game. But yeah, if things don't turn around quickly, I'll tell you what, Kent are in an awful lot of trouble. So we'll have to wait and see how the White Horse get on for the rest of this campaign because two teams are are battling away below them. And, and to be honest, Kieran, I think that's the, the best place to, to turn our attention to, actually. By going to Northwood, let's head to Merchant Taylor School, where Middlesex and Northamptonshire played out a fascinating draw 
over the course of four gripping days of county cricket action. So Northampton won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this encounter, a decision which unfortunately appeared to have backfired quite spectacularly in the opening exchanges as the visitors struggled to generate any kind of partnership of notes against the Saxes' same attack and were ultimately bundled out for just 217 runs in the 89th over of their first innings. Now, in response to this modest batting effort, Middlesex themselves didn't fare much better, to be honest, at Merchant Taylors this week, as some disciplined bowling from the likes of Ben Sanderson and Rob Keogh restricted the hosts to a slightly underwhelming total of 277 by the conclusion of their first innings. Now, I do say that that is slightly underwhelming because I think Middlesex could have scored at least 300. But, as we mentioned the relegation dogfights, that did mean that Middlesex finally picked up a second batting bonus point. And in what is a very, very tense affair towards the bottom of the table, that could be quite big come the end of the season. So I do think it's quite important that we do just pick up on that point and, and fair play to Middlesex for finally getting over 250 runs in that first innings. But with a sizable 60-run deficit to try and erase heading into their second innings, Things didn't look great for North Ants at Merchant Taylors, in particular when Ricardo Vasconcelos fell to Ryan Higgins in the ninth over. But to their immense credit, the East Midlands outfit put together a far better showing with the bat in hand on the second attempt, with an excellent 114 courtesy of West Australia's Sam Whiteman, aptly supported by a valuable 63 from the captain Luke Proctor and a quick fire 48 from the aforementioned Keogh did eventually take the visitors up to a more than commendable total of 380 all-out by the end of their second innings. And Kieran, this is where I want to pick up the first conversation points, and that is Northamptonshire's second innings. Because I mentioned beforehand about Middlesex and their display in their first innings, but this was a massive, massive show, wasn't it, for Northamptonshire, for a team which has struggled with the bat in hand to score 380 in that second innings, it's their highest total in the first division so far this season and the fourth time that they've surpassed the 300-run mark in the third innings of a match. Just how much confidence will that second innings give North Ants heading into the rest of this year's county championship? Yeah, I think it's, it should certainly give them confidence. I mean, you, you mentioned about the um, the batting bonus points um, that both sides have got. Um, North Ants this season have won. Um, and obviously failed to 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 get one in the in the first innings. So um, to come out in the second innings and you know crucially to to hit a score that was that was so much higher than Middlesex's first innings um, sort of will breed confidence for them. And it, it was the, the players that you would expect to stand up that did in this game um, with the bat. Um, Emilio Gay um, when he is fit. Um, is you would probably say one of the the main um, talents in the batting lineup, um, and I know Sam Whiteman's been useful at times this season. Um, there's obviously, as as with any cricketer, um, th- there's been failures as well, but he has been particularly useful, which um, has obviously helped them, and, and that's what you want from from your overseas signing. Um, and those two obviously stood up, but. Luke Proctor's runs, Rob Keogh's runs, um, all contributed, and it just shows them that that they can get to a, a respectable total. Um, 
against a bowling attack that that's not you know um there, there were good bowlers in, in the Middlesex bowling attack. The bowling hasn't been an issue for, for either side um, this season particularly. So for Northants to to be able to get to a total of 380, um, yeah, absolutely should breed confidence for, for the next game and show them that um, there are multiple batters in this side that can contribute and they will hope that for the remainder of the season or certainly in, in some games that they'll be able to replicate that performance well, fingers crossed that they can, because if they can do exactly that, they've got a chance, haven't they? They've got a fighting chance. But I think the key thing for me, because I was looking at the patterns over the course of this season so far, obviously it's one thing to get second innings runs. They've got to score in the first innings, haven't they? Because we mentioned about Middlesex's strifes with the bat in hand. Northants have only got one batting bonus point in the first division this season. And that was when they scored 255 runs against Somerset back in May. That's their highest score of the entire season, 255 in the first inning. So if we are looking from an analytical point of view, they've got to score first innings runs. That's the first thing to work on. And as soon as they can do that, just build off of it in the second innings. That's been their strength so far this summer. So if they can replicate that on the first attempt, Northants, you never know. They could turn things around. But as a result of that much improved display in the second innings, all of a sudden, Northants had a target to defend, 323 runs to be exact. And to give Middlesex an immense amount of credit, they gave this such a good attempt. And in particular, one man that we just have to give so much credit to is Sam Robson. Batting at number three, the Middlesex stalwart scored a magnificent 126 not out from 252 balls to ultimately take Middlesex up to a an agonisingly close score of 322 for six by the end of day four. I couldn't believe it. I was watching those final few overs and Middlesex were ticking along, ticking along. It got to something like 16 runs required off the last two overs. Ben Sanderson put together a masterclass in death bowling in that penultimate over. I think it went for about six runs. The, the change-up of, of pace and length, he was executing Yorkers. It was great to watch. And then that final delivery, Middlesex needed three to win and Tom Taylor conceded two. And you could just see at the end of it, Sam Robson looked absolutely bereft. He was exhausted. It was a a monumental innings from the Middlesex number three. And ultimately, yes, he may have, have, have come up short, but that was a fantastic knock nonetheless. And I tell you what, he'll get a lot of confidence, as will the rest of that Middlesex batting lineup. Because for the first time in 2023, a, a Saxes batter actually scored a ton. So Sam Robson scored the first century for a Middlesex player in this year's county championship. So uh, again, Kieran, I suppose out of the two teams, Middlesex will be the more frustrated because they were just one run away, weren't they? And we look at the wider picture, those extra eight points could be massive come the end of the season. But in terms of that run chase... It was phenomenal cricket to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and I mean, I didn't actually know that they'd not not got a century this season, which I, I suppose it, it makes sense when you you look at how how many problems they've had with the bat that they've not been able to get to to a big total uh, a lot of times. But there, there have been you know positive periods um, throughout the season, and obviously this this Sam Robson knock is absolutely one of those, um, and. John Simpson's been been good throughout the season. He's been one of their more um, 
respectable batters. Um, so, yeah, I would say, again, like with, with Northants, this this should certainly breed confidence. And um, I would also say, um, actually, the, the fact that Josh Carries has, has come into to this Red Bull side now, um, obviously mainly as a bowler, he should certainly add something with the bat in that he used to be an opening bat. Um, and I think when, when he plays club cricket, I know certainly um, maybe last season, a season before, he certainly um, was a was a batter in, in club cricket. And knowing um, the sort of raw qualities that, that he should have to, to be a batter, he should certainly add something to to their batting lineup. Um, and he only got, got 17, but he did it off 21 balls. Um, and... Yeah, potentially if Middlesex Middlesex did need to push a little bit harder than obviously they were able to do, but I, I mean it's difficult to say that they should have chased that down because Sam Robson's not a T Twenty cricketer and it essentially became a T Twenty chase at the end. Um, but you know, Toby Rowland Jones gave, gave it a go doing some some T Twenty stuff a little bit before um, thirty four of eighteen balls. So um, sort. Of, Certainly, there's people that that are able to contribute, and 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 that's that's been shown in this game, and that will breed confidence, and they will hope that it will continue throughout the next few games, so that hopefully they can actually get some some batting bonus points more than the the one, well, so the two that they've got this season. I think there was a there was a, a bit of an ironic cheer when they got um, when they got there in this game, um, but it's been a, one one of the better batting performances that they've put together so um certainly they will hope that that can continue throughout the season now well fingers crossed that it can kieran but i'll tell you what they've got a very difficult encounter next week haven't they it's the london derby at lords against surrey county cricket club so yeah we'll have to wait and see what happens when it comes to middlesex i do think that they are struggling still in the batting department in particular in the first innings but again a far better showing in the second in particular from sam robson and I do genuinely feel quite a lot of sympathy for him because that was a fantastic individual effort, but it feels like a missed opportunity, doesn't it? And you could just tell Sam Robson was absolutely gutted at the end of that game because that one run could ultimately be the difference between Middlesex staying in the first division or indeed getting relegated down to the second. So we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I feel like that final run could be an opportunity that Middlesex come to Rue. And talking of Rue, what a fantastic way that is to transition into our next game, which saw Somerset and Hampshire play out a thrilling draw at the Cooper Associates County Ground in Taunton. Now, Somerset won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game, a decision which couldn't have paid off any better for the home side this week. As James Rue, the leading run scorer in Division 1 so far this season, manufactured a quite masterful 221 from 310 balls alongside the likes of Casey Aldridge, Don Bess and Shoaib Bashir to take the Wyverns up to a colossal total of 500 all-outs by the culmination of their first and unsurprisingly only innings on home soil this week. So, Kieran, right off the bats, we've got to talk about James Rue because he is having the summer of a lifetime at the moment. 19 years of age, he's played nine matches for Somerset so far this season. 952 runs high score of 221 he's averaging 73.23 and he scored five centuries which is more than anybody else in the first division 
I've got to ask, where do you see this this guy, not just in the near future, but I suppose in years to come? Because I look at his technique and it's very solid. It's very sound. He's got a very good grounding in the batting department, but he's also a very good keeper. And he's also ice cool under pressure. So in terms of what you've seen of James Rue, should Somerset fans be excited to see this guy in a Somerset shirt over the course of the next few years? The, the, the difficult thing for them is that they might not see him in a Somerset, Somerset shirt all too often if he's playing for England. And I don't think it's outlandish to say that at some point over the next few years, obviously I don't know when, um, he will be playing for England. Um, and I think in the wider context at the moment, people are sort of, and, and I don't think any any sort of professional sources quite yet, but um, a lot of fans are sort of tipping him for the um, the England Test wicketkeeper role, which I think is uh, that's probably a little bit further away than than perhaps some people might believe. Um, I think um, it'll be one of of Johnny Bairstow or Ben Folks for a little while longer, but. Both of those players are, are north of 30, I believe. Um, so there will be that spot opening up at some point in the future. Um, I think a lot of people feel like that's going to be Jamie Smith um, is the next in line for that that role. Um, but I would say, you know, Johnny Bairstow's um, made a career as a test cricketer, both with and without the gloves. And I think the, the qualities that James Rue has just as purely as a batter, um, there's no reason to suggest that at some point England won't have a look at him just as um, genuine batter rather than wicketkeeper. Um, and whether or not that would be good for him or not. I mean, Johnny Bairstow has had periods of his career where he's been good with the gloves and good with the bat. He's had periods where he's just been good with the bat um, and not kept at all. Obviously, at the moment, he's having, having a period where his keeping's not quite up to scratch whether it would be better for Rue um, to focus on his batting. Obviously, as, as you say, he's a good wicketkeeper um, anyway. So I'm not sure where, where he would fit in, but I'm, I'm certain that at some point he, he will be playing for England because I, I don't think you can really look past um, five tonnes at the age of 19 after having only debuted, I think it was exactly a year ago um, on the first day of this game. Um, and there aren't many many uh, championship cricketers that have had as, as good a start as he has. I think he is now level with Dan Lawrence for the most tons uh, in the championship as a teenager. Um, and obviously Dan Lawrence has gone on to play for England um, and sort of in and around the squad at the moment. And I'm, I'm sure at some point, maybe not in the next couple of years, but it, it depends how he continues going. But James Rue will certainly play for England at some point. Yeah, to be honest, mate, I, I do echo that sentiment. I mean, he was very impressive, wasn't he, in the Under-19 World Cup in the Caribbean. And to see him producing these level of outputs at such a young age, it's terrifying, isn't it, to be honest. For any team that plays against Somerset, you, you know already that they've got the likes of Tom Abel, they've got the likes of Tom Lamanby, Tom Curley-Cadmore. And if you get through those guys, <laughs> you've then got a guy who's almost scored a 1,000 runs over the course of nine matches to try and get out. So... Yeah, James Rue, we, we can't really give him enough praise and applaud it for his efforts so far this season. And I did just want to also give a bit of a shout out too to Shur Bashir, 
as well because he scored a career best 44 and out and those two put on over 100 for the last wicket. So that was very impressive. And for a Somerset side, which by their own admission was a little bit weaker, obviously the, the focus for the Wyverns is very much on finals day at Edgebaston. So they brought in the likes of Alfie Ogborne on first class debut. They brought back Casey Aldridge into the mix. And of course, Sher Bashir as the main spin bowler and Don Best back on loan from Yorkshire. So for them to, to produce 500 runs in that first innings was absolutely huge. And to be honest, Somerset didn't exactly get off to a poor start with the ball in hand either, did they? In fact, within the space of 58 overs of Hampshire's first innings, they had the Rosen crowd struggling on 152 for eight. But to their immense credits, the, the dogged ninth wicket pairing of Felix Organ, who scored 97, and Kyle Abbott, how about that from Kyle Abbott, 89 out, battled away like a pair of gladiators in Taunton this week as the lower order duo dug deep for 42 overs to eventually salvage the situation and help Hampshire up to a far more respectable score of 330 all outs by the end of their first innings. But with constant rain interruptions and a confident bowling attack at its disposal, Somerset captain Tom Abel unsurprisingly decided to go for the jugular and enforce the follow-on in this game. But after another strong start, which saw Hampshire restricted to 115 for 7 within the space of just 50 overs, the Wyverns simply couldn't finish off their South Coast adversaries on home soil this week, as Nick Gubbins and Liam Dawson laid anchor for 47 overs to ultimately see the visitors up to a score of 215 for 7 and therefore secure five valuable draw points for their side in Taunton this week. So, Kieran, we've mentioned already as to how impressive Somerset were in this game, but a few words on Hampshire and in particular those two partnerships between the likes of Felix Organ and Kyle Abbott in the first innings, and then Liam Dawson and Nick Gubbins in the second, those could be some crucial points, couldn't they, heading into the rest of this year's county championship? Yeah, absolutely. And and that of um, Nick Gubbins and, and Liam Dawson, Nick Gubbins particularly, um, just a mental resolve to, to score but not even the runs, just to face 241 balls to not get out um, against. I know that the Somerset seam attack isn't as strong as, as potentially it usually would. As you say, they've got one eye on finals day. So um, there's no Craig Overton, no Matt Henry, who, who were obviously being rested, which which is fair enough. But still a good bowling attack. Um, and Gubbins innings... It, for me, it's is the the more impressive that he, he was able to just sit back and and not try to attack and just defend his wicket. And Liam Dawson's obviously got got more runs um, and at a quicker rate um, and just sort of let it tick on. But just for both to to stick in there um, was just yeah a massive partnership that obviously helped the the draw. And then you, yeah, you mentioned the 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 Hampshire first innings partnership of, of Felix Organ and, and Kyle Abbott. It's for Kyle Abbott, he must, I don't want to say feel hard done by, but it must feel mental for him that, that he took four of the top five and ran out the other in the first innings and then hit 89 out in the second innings and, and still that this game is dominated by somebody that isn't him in James Rue is just quite mental to think about. But obviously the, a fantastic knock of, of 89 Um from you know, you know, a lower order batter is, is a fantastic effort, and Felix Organ's going to feel um, 
a little bit heartbroken the fact that he was he was out on on 97 but again a, a very good knock from him and um yeah just as a whole Hampshire it, it was a very good batting performance uh, across both innings and um they they basically drawn because of the contributions of a lot of different players rather than just one or two so that's certainly a positive for them um going into to other games throughout the season um, and has kept them potentially in contention at, at the top end of the table. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, with Hampshire? Because, yes, they are valuable points, and I did mention that, but they're, they're almost in limbo at the moment, aren't they, in, in fourth place? Because they have got 113 points. They're theoretically in the mix. They're 26 points behind Surrey as of the end of this round. But I, I don't know, they just... They just don't seem to be a stronger unit in comparison to last season. I'm not sure entirely why that is, but yeah, the the batting has been an issue for Hampshire for a number of years now. And even though we are talking about those match salvaging contributions from the likes of Felix Organ, Kyle Abbott, Liam Dawson and Nick Gubbins, it it does feel like a pretty disappointing performance from Hampshire this week, in particular that first innings, because that could have gone massively wrong. It, It took something very, very special from the lower order. So... Yeah, they're an interesting team, aren't they? The Rose and Crown. Whether or not they're title contenders this season, I don't know. I think it might bridge too far, but anything can happen come Super September. So we'll have to wait and see. Never discounts Hampshire County Cricket Club, as we've seen in the T20 Blast in 2022. But Kieran, aside then from that fascinating encounter between Somerset and Hampshire at the Cooper Associates County Ground, Let's turn our attention to our fifth and final game in the first division this week, which saw Surrey and Nottinghamshire play out a draw at the Kia Oval. Now, Notts won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which appeared to have backfired somewhat, actually, in the opening phases, as a quick-fire 107, courtesy of powerful all-rounder Jordan Clark, as well as handy contributions from the likes of Ben Folkes and Sean Abbott's, saw Surrey up to a more than respectable total of 355 all-outs by the conclusion of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Nottinghamshire themselves had an excellent showing with the bat in hand, as newcomer Will Young applied himself excellently in the number three position, and manufactured a vital 145 from 277 deliveries to ultimately take the visitors up to a commanding score of 399 all-outs by the end of their 118.4 first innings overs. So, Kieran, we've got to discuss Will Young, the newcomer to the Nottinghamshire batting lineup. He had a very good time of it in a Northampton shirt last year. I thought he was one of their standout players over the course of that campaign. And we've seen in the past, haven't we, in both New Zealand's domestic circuits and, of course, in the international arena, just how much quality this guy provides to any batting lineup in which he appears. So in terms of that one four five, how excellent of a knock was that from the Kiwi number three? It's obviously a fantastic knock and just heightened by the fact that he was batting against a, a sorry bowling lineup with Dan Worrell, Sean Abbott, Tom Laws, Jamie Overton, just they just keep coming. They're, they're all prodigiously talented bowlers and um he looked untroubled. Um and was just just able to score quite freely, and and that's basically what you get with a with a test quality batter who obviously 
knows county cricket and, and has come and done well before. And for Notts, it's a fantastic signing. Um, and even in the second innings, uh, I, I know it sort of didn't bother too much about pushing it on. But again, uh, a knock of 25 now, it just young adds a lot to the Nottinghamshire batting lineup. Um, and obviously in the first innings, he, he uh, was the glue that held everything together while a few people batted around him, um, both uh, higher up in the other than and, and below. Well, it did. Uh, and to be honest, just talking of some of those other contributions, Hasiba Mead scoring 67 from 149. And then Lyndon James, he had a great game, didn't he? 50 from 95 with the bat in hands. And then, of course, with the ball in hands in Surrey's first innings, career best figures of 6 for 74. So Lyndon James, just keep an eye out on him. If you are a fan of Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club, a very good young all-rounder, to say the least. But, Kieran, you mentioned there about not trying to, or I suppose Notts not trying to accelerate this game. Let's talk about the second innings for both of these teams, because this is where things did begin to peter out a bit in this particular encounter. So, obviously, Surrey has a pretty major deficit in that first innings of 44 runs, and they didn't get off to a great start, did they? in their second innings, with Rory Burns falling to the bowling of Brett Hutton in the first over of that particular second batting display. But in terms of the rest of the innings, they did try, didn't they? In particular, with the likes of of Dom Sibley, he scored 83. Tom Latham scored 60. And Will Jacks and and Tom Laws also scoring 60 and 55, respectively, to try and get Surrey back into this game and ultimately try and force a win with the Brown Caps ultimately finishing on a total of 340 all out by the end of their 102.1 overs. But Notch just didn't seem to want to chase this, did they? On, on day four at all. They just laid anchor, they dug deep. And for 33.1 overs, they went at a run rate of 3.55. Now, that isn't a, a ridiculously stubborn or gritty or resilient batting display by any stretch of the imagination. You know, if they're going at two runs and over, or 2.5, you can say that they were trying to kill the game, but at the same time, there didn't seem to be the same intent, did there, from Nottinghamshire? And I've got to ask, were you a fan of that move from Notts? Because, yes, they didn't go after the win, but at the same time, if we look at the, the wider picture, a draw at the Oval is a very good result, isn't it, for the East Midlands County? If I mean, if you were to tell them that on paper, you can go away from the Oval with a draw, they'd definitely take that, wouldn't they? Absolutely. I think Surrey... Um obviously play play very well at the Oval. Um, but would, a draw is a good result for, for not certainly. Um, and, you know, ensuring that they, they get points so they're not uh, in relegation trouble, obviously, you know, that that's what they want and they'll, they'll take whatever they can get. I would say, though, it would have been more of a statement had they attempted to, to win this game. And even had they just gone a little bit harder at the top and, and tried to score a little bit quicker, um, you know, four and a half, five and over or whatever. I mean, you've got you've got players like like Joe Clark, Matt Montgomery, Tom Moores, all, all of which play in not swipe ball sides. Um, they could have, if the top order had been out, tried to push it on. And then had there been a few wickets, they could have sat back and gone, all right, we don't want to lose this game. We'll just sit in and, and, and get behind it now. Whereas... They, they didn't attempt to do that at all. Um, whether or not that, that's the right decision for them, as I say, they've got the draw points. They'll be happy enough with that. I just think that 
it wouldn't have been the end of the world had they lost a couple of quick wickets trying to go for the win and then decided that that after rather than you know being one wicket down you know if they were three or four wickets down they could have then made that choice and and they would have still drawn the game i just think they could have been a little bit more positive and at least attempted to win the game and then shut up shop had that not not worked for them rather than just deciding basically from the off that they weren't going to chase it to be honest Kieran I do tend to agree with that I think it would have been a huge statement but then again I can also see the logic and the reasoning behind Knott's adopting that particular approach because they just wanted the points I mean it's getting so tight isn't it in the in the middle parts of the table that every single point counts at this stage and again if they would have gone for the win and things would have gone spectacularly wrong they could potentially be dragged back into the relegation dogfight so I can see the rationale behind Nottinghamshire adopting that approach in South London this week. But talking of that fourth and final innings, I suppose we do just have to pose one final question for the podcast, Kieran. Do you think Surrey should have played a spinner? Because this has been something which has cropped up time and time and time again. And, and fair enough to the Brown Caps. They've dominated, haven't they, with their particular setup with the Duke's ball in hand. But you look at these Kookaburra ball rounds and you compare their their performances to the likes of Warwickshire and Essex, for example, and they've not been as strong, have they, in comparison to previous rounds. So, for example, they lost against Lancashire, and they've now drawn against Knotts. So that's two games at the Oval where Surrey have not won. And it's interesting, actually, that after the game, Gareth Batty had, um, had some words to say in an interview, and he said basically he didn't like the change. He thought that the, the Kookaburra trial was basically a waste of time because in football you don't change the ball midway through the season. But we knew that this was going to happen, didn't we, Kieran? We knew this right from the get-go. It was going to be the ninth and 10th rounds. They're going to have the Kookaburra ball and something which has been adopted by a number of counties is playing a second spinner. Now, given the fact that Surrey do have the likes of Dan Moriarty, I know that they've loaned him to Yorkshire, but they could have recalled him easily for this game. And of course, they got Amar Verdi. Do you think Surrey could have just played a second spinner? Well, firstly, as you say, it, we knew before the season started that that these two rounds were going to be the Cookaburra rounds. So Surrey could have prepared for that eventuality. They could have, like you say, recalled Dan Moriarty had they needed to. Um, obviously didn't do an awful lot for Yorkshire in this round, but in the last round they took a, a five run on debut. And so they could have potentially done that. It, it's a tough one in that Surrey see Will Jacks as a frontline spinner, um, which, which fair enough, he, he took a six for in, in Pakistan on on test either on test debut or, or his second test. I think he played two in Pakistan. I can't remember exactly which test it was, but he, he obviously can bowl. Um, but in in the first innings, Will Jacks bowled fourteen overs, um, which was other than Tom Laws the lowest of any Surrey bowler. Um, and then in the second innings, he bowled nine, which was the most, but um, only Dan Worrell and, and Sean Abbott were were both on eight. So um, it, it is tough because, as I say, they, they do see Will Jacks as a frontline spinner. And I don't think you can you can sort of argue against that because he, he has been somewhat good good with the ball. Um, and I mentioned, you know, the, the fact that he, he took a six for in a test match for England, you, a bad bowler wouldn't have taken a six for so it, it, the, the question is essentially yeah whether they could have picked a spinner alongside Will Jacks um I think Amaverdi is just 
sort of sitting around collecting dust at this point where a couple of years ago he was sort of being touted as, as the next big thing and could have been an England spinner. Um, yeah, they, 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 they certainly could have. And in hindsight, maybe they should have. Um, but yeah, I don't, whether or not it would have made too much of a difference, I'm not sure. Um, and in the last round, certainly a lot of sides um, reap the rewards of, of having a couple of spinners. This round, I, I haven't seen it as much. Um, so whether or not it, it would have changed all that much, I'm not sure. Like, you know, we, we said earlier, Simon Harmon didn't take a wicket in, in Essex's game, um, but Matt Critchley did. So whether or not it would have made a massive difference, I'm not sure. But in hindsight, they potentially could and maybe should have picked a, a, another spinner um, rather than one of the seamers. Well, of course, it's just a hypothetical, isn't it? We're just talking in theories, but I do think it was an interesting question to pose because, yeah, for two rounds, Surrey didn't opt to go with that extra spin bowler and they did allow Dan Moriarty to go on loan to Yorkshire. So just something I thought I'd pose, but I think out of those two sides, Knott's will definitely be the happier of the two with those draw points, even though they did lose the likes of Dane Patterson and Jake Ball to injury. So we'll have to, to keep tabs with regards to the severities of those particular injuries, but uh, I think for the most part, Knotts will definitely take those points to take away from a very difficult venue in the form of the Kia Oval. But talking of points, let's take a look at the Division 1 table. And still at the top of the pile of Surrey County Cricket Club on 139 points. In second, following that very impressive victory over Lancashire in Blackpool, we've got Essex on 126 points. In third, with a game in hand, our Warwickshire County Cricket Club on 116 points. So, again, maybe the Bears just dark horses in this year's county championship. In fourth, our Hampshire on 113 points. In fifth, our Somerset on 100 points. In sixth, but with game in hand, our Lancashire on 90 points. In seventh, a Knotts on 89 points. In eighth, our Kent on 74 points. In ninth, but with game in hand, a Middlesex on 63 points. And in tenth and bottom place of Division 1 at the end of the 10th round are Northamptonshire on 47 points. So, again, things are heating up in the first division. It's interesting because two rounds ago, a lot of people were saying the Division 1 title race was done and dusted. It was all Surrey's to lose, but I'll tell you what, Essex have come back with vengeance. There's now 13 points between them and Surrey. And, of course, Warwickshire just 23 points away, but crucially, with a game in hand against Northampton. So things are getting tight at the top in the first division and we will be here to take you through every single step of the way as we head into Super September and the conclusion of the first division of the LV County Championship. But that is it from myself and Kieran for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.